I have the incredible, incredible honor and privilege of uh, introducing you to my senior pastor back home. Uh, we came from West Texas, and um, uh, we, I got to serve under this man for 13 years, uh, but got to be in ministry with him. He is a spiritual father to me. Uh, all of the great things that I have begotten to receive from, so many of them have come, in, come from him and all of the messy parts of me, well, you can blame him for that as well. Um, but I am so incredibly grateful to have him speaking and sharing uh, from the scripture this morning. Can you guys help me welcome David McQueen? Uh, good morning. Good morning. It, I can't even begin to tell you what a joy it is to be with you guys. Um, it is not an exaggeration to say that I have prayed for you for years. Literally, and to lay my eyes on you and to see and sense, I don't know if you sense what God is birthing here right now, but there is something that God wants to do. He wants to do it in you, but he wants to do it through you as a people as well. Um, maybe I'll get to, um, the Lord just reminded me of something. Uh, maybe I can get to it at the end of the message. Uh, I've got a real heart for this area and something that goes way back in my history and it just blesses me to know there's a people like you that God's going to use to help bring that about. I know it's not just you. He's going to use the church, the one church of this area to do that work. But make no mistake, you're going to be a big part of it. And there are going to be dozens, hundreds, thousands of lives that are going to be impacted if you guys continue the journey for you guys. And Keith said it. I've been blessed to know Keith. I mean, we did serve together in Abilene, but I knew him back in his high school days. Um, you can ask him about his basketball prowess. Um, he was pretty proud of it back then. Um, <laughs> I was his coach, um, and I would just say I exaggerated my coaching ability, and he exaggerated his playing ability. So, <laughs> um, um, but you guys know what a champion you have in Keith and Megan. You guys know what a blessing they are, and I'm so proud of them. They deserve a round of applause, man. Now, as you can tell, I'm a bit older than most of you guys, um, and I'm just going to tell you right now, it's, a, it's actually great to get old. I like it. It's a joy. There's a lot of things that come with it, but sometimes, I need you to listen to an old man this morning. Sometimes I think we grow up too much. Let me unpack that. One of my fondest memories of childhood, um, believe it or not, is associated with my dad's recliner. I don't know if they still do this today, but growing up, it was very common in our era that my mom had a chair and my dad had a chair. And we had a small house, and we kids were allowed to use those chairs if and when mom and dad were not present. But if mom and dad, mom or dad walked into the room, you were too, without any words whatsoever, you were to vacate the premises of their chair and make sure they could set in them. If a verbal reminder had to be issued from mom or dad, there was often another kind of reminder uh, that was issued. Some of you are old enough to know what that is. Those aren't the good memories, though. The good memories are Saturday night. Because what would happen every Saturday night is that I would go and I would have my bath. My dad would get in the recliner. I'd finish my bath, and I would smell the smell of popcorn. And what was going to transpire, and it happened for months, weeks after weeks after week, is I was going to go join my dad in his recliner, sit in his lap. We were going to eat popcorn together, and we were going to watch, don't judge us, Saturday Night Wrestling. Okay? <laughs> Listen to me. 
Those were the good old days of wrestling, way back in the day when that stuff was real, not the stage stuff that we have today. It was real stuff. In a world like we live in, come on, a world that, let's admit, has a lot of weight, weighted down with anxiety, a lot of bondage, Jesus issued an invitation. I want you to hear it. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I hear the word rest. One of the images that come to me is in my dad's lap in his recliner as a kid. But it wasn't until a few years ago I actually made the connection to our faith journey. See, rest comes from sitting in the right chair. I really am going to unpack that. You've got Matthew chapter 11 open right now. You can look in the 28th verse and you're going to see the invitation that Jesus extended, this invitation to rest. But I'm afraid what we do is we bypass the foundational element necessary to actually live in that rest. You go back to verse 25. It says that at that time, Jesus declared, he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. You've hidden these from those who think they have understanding and you have revealed them to, notice the phrase, little Children. Now, come on. If we weren't in church reading this passage right now out of the Bible, we would think that is the talk of ludicrousy. It is almost universally accepted that if you want to prosper and succeed in our society, what you got to do is you got to grow up. You got to get more information. You got to get more knowledge. We got to know more. We are a society in love with information and um, knowledge. Are we not? Do you know that we as a, a people, we actually create more information in a day? thing used to happen in a thousand years. We are popping out that much information today. The number of bytes of information being produced right now is a staggering amount of information. We know we've got our phone. I mean, I can remember growing up and our teachers would talk to us about math principles and things like that. And we'd say, man, I'll just use a calculator for that. And they think, well, you think you're just gonna have a calculator with you all the time? Now we have a calculator, now we have Google, we now have everything with us all the time. We produce more knowledge, we produce more information, we know more, we gain more, but yet, we haven't decreased anxiety, have we? We have not decreased bondage. We haven't decreased worry. In fact, I think most of us would admit, it's all increased. Maybe the reason we struggle with elements of bondage still in our society, with all the advancements, with all the prosperity, the most prosperous society in the history of humanity, more financial wealth distributed among more people than any other people group in the history of humanity, and yet we struggle with weight, we struggle with anxiety, we struggle with worry, we still struggle with bondage. Maybe the reason, I'm just throwing it out to you, is that we've grown up a little bit too much. See, we've forgotten, or maybe we've never gotten deep inside of us, that Jesus called one time a child unto himself and said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, you guys are on a journey. I think it is the most incredible of journeys, this thing to freedom. Freedom is not what our society says freedom is. Freedom in our society means do whatever I want whenever I want. That's not biblical freedom. Biblical freedom is actually the power to live as God designed you to live. And believe it or not, you can't do it without his power. And freedom comes as we know the father's heart for his children. 
Don't let the significance of this bypass you. I know we talk in the church world all the time about being sons and daughter of God, but I'm telling you, rest eludes us. Bondage is far too common. Anxiety, way too often a frequent companion because we, in many ways, have grown up way too much. Right now, I'm proud to be the grandfather of four wonderful grandchildren. I, I think there'll be more than four someday, but my kids, believe it or not, have told me that I have no say on when and how many grandkids I'm gonna have. There's a bunch of ingrates is what I think my kids are. Anyway, I get to watch my grandkids through a whole nother set of lenses than I did when my kids were growing up. Like I'm three decades removed from when my kids were little, and I hope three decades wiser. And I've noticed, more so than I ever did with my own kids, how carefree my grandchildren are. When they're hungry, they just communicate to their parents. When they fall, the simple kiss uh, from mom will just magically wipe away pain and tears. And when they want to buy something from the store, they come to me because that's what their kids have taught. My kids have taught them to do. I mean, you know what I'm saying, right? Mac, that's my granddad name. Mac, Mac has candy in his office and cash in his pocket. That is what I'm known for. But here's what I've also noticed. My grandkids don't worry about anything. They carry no sense of anxiety whatsoever in their life. I mean, I understand there's tantrums, but they can be in the midst of tantrum or play, in the midst of frustration or fun in life. Uh, in the midst of all that, they live with an overall sense of freedom. No worries, no anxieties, no care. They live, if I may, in a posture of rest. And I know you're thinking right now, well, of course they do, David. They're not having to worry about all the stuff of adulting and things like that. They're children. Exactly. It is why Jesus asked a question. Which of you, if his son asks for, a fit, for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you're going to give him a serpent? Now, please understand, Jesus is very aware that in every generation of humanity, there have been neglectful abuse of parents. I know some of us wrestle with the idea of him bringing up images of fatherhood and things like that because our parents were unhealthy, abusive, or they just weren't present in our lives. I don't think Jesus is minimizing that reality, but there is a norm, a norm that has transcended generations that parents are generally nurturing to some level and sacrificial to some level for their kids. Jesus is here referring to the norm, not to the exception uh, of parenting. But even then, he makes a contrast. Verse 11, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, notice this, how much more will your heavenly father give what? Good things to those who ask. It's like he is comparing the best of human parents, picking your mind, whoever you think is the best parent, and they are like a peewee football player compared to a Super Bowl player tonight when it comes to the way God treats us. What if, think about it for a moment, what if deep within we got that God is such a grandfather, his heart for us is so grand and so good, it's impossible for us to believe what if, in some ways, we didn't grow up so much? Well, let me say it another way. What if part of Christian maturity, growing as a follower of Jesus, is different than we normally think? We think of growing up as becoming more and more independent and self-reliant. What if Christian maturity is just the opposite? 
And what if that is the key to freedom we need in our life? Hear me, I'm not saying we don't mature. We don't mature into more responsibility or more strength or more faith. We absolutely want to. In Colossians, Paul says, I teach the things I teach and do the things I do, that I may present everyone mature in Christ. But part of maturing in Christ is a childlikeness. It is becoming, look at verse 25 again, like little children in our lives. A humility that willingly embraces the father control of our lives. It's like one author said it so well. When a father leads his four-year-old son down a crowded street, he takes him by the hand and says, hold on to me. He doesn't say memorize the map. He doesn't say take your chances, dodges the traffic, or let's see if you can find your way home. The good father gives his child one responsibility. Hold on to my hand. God does the same with us. Don't load yourself down with lists. Don't enhance your anxiety with the fear of fulfilling them. Your goal is not to know every detail of the future. Can I add to that? Your goal is not even to prepare for every possibility of the details of the future. Your goal is to hold onto the hand of the one who does and never, ever let go. When we do that, rest. Freedom. Rest comes as we know the Father's heart for his children. Rest, I'm going to say it this way, comes from sitting in the right chair. A few years ago, a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Leif Hetland, um, he was sharing in the church that I'm blessed to be part of in West Texas. And he, he used the image of three chairs. And I'd actually seen the image before used by guys like Bruce Wilkinson and John Maxwell and others, but I never quite heard it like this. He talked about three chairs. And if I may, this is chair three. Say chair three. Chair three is one that you can just say like outside the family. Not part of the family. This, this is the chair, if I may, that we're all born into. We're born into sin. We're born apart in some ways from God and our relationship with God. It's true of all humans. That's, this, by the way, is why Jesus came. If we could somehow make ourselves part of God's family, if we could obey enough rules or live a certain philosophy of life, there's no reason for Jesus to come. All this is ludicrous if we could do it ourselves in life. Jesus on the cross paid the price justice demands. He paid the price for our sins. And through his resurrection, what did he do? He changed the whole nature of death. I mean, you think about that. Death before Jesus was this place where we were gonna be forever separated from God, forever outside the family. But now death actually becomes the possibility to what is the best in life. Death has now utterly, absolutely changed. The father so wanted us in his family, catch this. The father so wanted us in his family, we rebelled. It was our own rebellion that did it. We were outside the family and he did this most incredible thing. He offered his son Jesus just to create an opportunity that you would join his family. And I'm just gonna tell you right now, we'll be bound in bondage. You cannot live the life God designed for you to live outside of Jesus Christ. You can say, I'm free. I'm free to do whatever I want to do. But the Bible says that we're all in bondage to sin and we're gonna move our way into sin. It's only through Jesus that we can actually have freedom to live as God wanted us to live. And Jesus provided that way. 12 years ago, I was in Van Zant County of East Texas and we were in a courtroom and my wife and I told the judge, we wanna adopt a young girl named Zoe. Um, she had lived with us uh, as a foster kid for over a year. I I'm not gonna do anything grand and tell you that it was a 
one most wonderful year of our life. We don't have a little orphan Annie story. We have a girl that was really messed up and went through a lot of hell, literally. And she gave hell because of the hell that she had received. And God told us she's to become yours. And so we made a way for her to become our child doing the things we did. Now, she was nine years old at this time, and the judge surprised us. The judge did what I knew he would do. The judge laid out all the responsibility we would have as adoptive parents. It's interesting. Um, legally, I have more responsibility to my adopted daughter than I do my biological kids. I can write my biological kids out of my will. I tell them that all the time, by the way. Um, <laughs> I can't write my adopted kid out of the will. I actually have a higher responsibility legally to her. So he's telling me all these legal responsibilities are you wanting to do, and I expect we say, yes, we move on. But then he did something I, I didn't expect. We didn't know what was gonna happen. He actually turned and looked at her and said, do you want to be part of this family? Now, I'm in the back of my mind going, Judge, you don't know this girl. She is like a wild card of wild cards. We have no idea what she's gonna say. I hope you have a plan B, dude, if she says no right here now, because who knows what's gonna happen in her life. But it was an incredible image of the gospel. For the gospel to happen, for us to be ones who are no longer outside the family, God prepared a way. But it isn't fulfilled in totality until we say, yes, I wanna be in the family. That's why John says, yet to all who receive him, to all who have believed in his name, he has given the right to become a child of God. As soon as we say yes to be a follower of Jesus, committing ourselves to become his follower, what happens is there is a total transformation of our being. And we go from this place of being outside of the family, chair three, and we are translated by the power of Jesus into chair one, child of God. Let that sink in for a moment. This is what happens the moment you by faith say yes to Jesus Christ. But here's the issue. Most of us don't live here. Most of us live here. We live in chair two. Chair two, you might call the heart of an orphan outside the family, orphan, child. You say, but David, I have become by Jesus a, a child of God. I absolutely believe that. Positionally, every follower of Jesus is a child of God. But I made a discovery in this whole journey of adoption that you can legally and positionally be a child and yet in your mind and posture still think like an orphan. Through this journey we've had with our daughter, our church has now seen hundreds of adoptions and hundreds of foster kids. And we made this discovery that adopted children have a hard time believing they're actually part of the family. Though adopted and legally part of the family, they still identify and live as an orphan. So before we were able to bring Zoe into our home as an adopted child, as I told you, we were licensed as a foster family in the state of Texas. And in our training again and again, they talked about this thing called RAD. Now, some of you who are old like I am, RAD was a, like a phrase in the 60s that meant, and 70s that meant cool, awesome, great, that's RAD, right? That's not this kind of RAD. This RAD is an acronym. 
reactive attachment disorder. It's this incredible thing. It basically says in reactive attachment disorder that kids that have been rejected early on in their life, especially with significant relationships, mothers and fathers, etc., they have this idea that grows inside of them. They think it's subconscious, but they have this idea that they will always be rejected. When a mother or father figure especially rejects you, they just have this idea that I am going to get rejected. And so because they have this belief inside of them that I'm always gonna be rejected, as soon as they start feeling an attachment to anyone, guess what they begin to do? They begin to push it away. They begin to act out. They begin doing all sorts of things. They threaten like our daughter did to kill you. They light fires to things that you don't want fires lit on. They do all this stuff to push away. They don't know what they're doing. Again, it's really subconscious. But they begin to push away. And the idea is this. I know you're going to reject me. And so if I already know you're going to reject me, I'm going to beat you to the punch and I'm going to control it. And it's this weird way to try to take control into our world. So it's interesting, this, this model, which is, I'm saying has been played out. Rad says that even though a child is legally and fully adopted, you've taken the step that I stood before a judge, I signed legal papers, I did all this stuff and made promises, even though I have done all of that. She wrestled to believe it. And she still lived with the mind and idea of an orphan. And somewhere along this journey, as God is so gracious to do, I thought I was doing this wonderful thing for this child and the whole time God was using that journey to do something in me. And I discovered every follower of Jesus has rad. Every follower of Jesus really wrestles because we were outside the family, if I may. We were an orphan. We were on our own. And yet we've been legally adopted. But it is so hard to believe that the king of the universe would want me to be his child. I mean, think about that. That even though I do that, I live here. In Jesus, we've been made a king of the universe, but that is so almost seemingly fantasaical that I can't embrace that. I, I, I got to do this. Romans 8, it says, for you did not receive a spirit of, a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But look at it. You've received a spirit of adoption as sons, as children. And by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. Next verse, the spirit testifies himself with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Now, I can promise you from the original construction of Romans 8, 16, when the original first century readers read it, what they would have read is this. The Spirit himself continually testifies with our spirit that we are what? God's children. Why would the Spirit of God have to constantly remind us, you really are a child, you really are a child, you really are a child. Why would he have to do that if we don't struggle to believe that we are really a child? Listen to me, if we want to truly be free, if you really want to be empowered to live everything God has for your life, we must move in our minds. We must move in our posture, if I can use that, the attitude of our minds. We have to move from being an orphan to being a child. And you have to start recognizing the symptoms of being an orphan or being a child. So I laid out a chart because I, I like to do stuff like this. So they're gonna throw up there, you're gonna see there's chair two and there's chair one. What you're gonna find in chair two is this, when it comes to our relationship with God, we wanna earn everything. We wanna earn it. The reason we do what we do, I gotta go to church. I gotta prove to God that I love him. I gotta earn the reality of who am I in Christ. I have to pray. We start using language like I have to, I must, I have to worship. 
I have to pray. Not in this emotional sense of being drawn to it. I have to earn it. Whereas children, children receive. Have you ever watched a little kid? Little kid has no problem going up to mom and dad asking for anything. I want a pony, right? They say, go to Mac. If you want a pony, we can get a pony, but you're gonna have to pony up to have the pony. But anyway, they have no trouble asking whatsoever. I'm hungry. I need this, I need this, I need this. And they do, because the whole life of a little kid is what? Receiving. I got a mom, I got a dad, I'm taken care of. All I gotta do is be around them and they're gonna give me everything I need. That has how a child thinks. An orphan, orphan wants human approval. I, I, I need people to validate me in life. Which, by the way, is why we find ourselves doing things that we know we should not be doing because often we're looking for somebody's approval. We're looking for somebody's validation in life, but a child. All I need is the father's approval. All I need is to hear what? This is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Isn't it interesting? If Jesus needed to hear, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, do we not think we need that? And I promise you, God is telling you that more often than we think, but we're living with ears of an orphan. Another symptom you'll find is competition and jealousy. It's comparison. We're looking at others. Like when somebody else is blessed by God and you're not blessed by God, you want to be happy for that person that's blessed by God, but really I'm more spiritual than they are. I deserve to be more blessed by God than they do, right? Right. That's what we think. And we have this competition and we have this jealousy. But when you're walking as a child, we can celebrate. I can really celebrate with my brothers and sisters because I know this. I know there's plenty of what the Father has for everyone. And he's going to do something unique in my life. But I know this, that the Father is always working in all things for my good. So if he has withheld this from me, I, I don't know why, maybe, but he's gonna be working in that for my good and he may have blessed them with this, but he's blessed me with some things that he hasn't blessed them with and I'm just gonna celebrate what he's doing with others and I'm gonna trust because he's my father. When you're an orphan, this word prove. I'm out to prove myself all the time. It's this, we kind of operate with this poor self-image. I gotta prove to people that I'm worth I've got to prove to God that I'm worth. Think about that. I've got to prove to God. I, I, I'll, I will through my actions. I will through my service. I will through the amount of time I pray. I will do, I will prove that I am worth it. But a child, a child just knows they're accepted. They just get it. I mean, I, I mean I've watched it. Kids that are biologically born into a family, a good family, they just know. But that's not the image used in the scripture of us, is it? The image used of us is adopted because we have to wrestle through this reality. Orphans mistrust authority. This is the big one right here. I'm just gonna tell you right now, this is the big key. Mistrust the father's authority, mistrust human authority. This is a, a, a big tale when we're operating the orphan spirit. But a child can live submitted. And I'm not saying perfect by any means. But in general, there's this idea that you can trust that the Father's direction in life is gonna take you where you need. And that he can actually use the weakness of human authority to get us where we need in life. An orphan, self-reliant. I remember uh, I was, uh, believe it or not, a basketball player in Texas. I didn't play football. That's like an oxymoron. Um, and we actually had a practice jersey. And I know what the coach was trying to get to, um, but the practice jersey actually says, if it is to be, it's up to me. And I thought about that later. I said, well, that's really an awkward statement for a team sport um, <laughs> and such. 
but he's wanting you to put out the effort. But I think I, I remember that phrase forever. And I think in my whole life where I've wrestled is if it is to be, it's up to me. It's the heart of an orphan. When you're a child, I gladly live dependent. Dad'll take care of it. Dad'll do it. Dad'll make it. Is, is that not what Jesus said? Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. What kind of things? Well, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. Don't worry about what you're gonna wear. Don't worry about, well, why don't I need to worry about that? Seek first the kingdom and your heavenly father will make sure all those things are taken care of as well. It's just this glad place I'm dependent on Abba and Abba's gonna take care of everything. Listen, when we live by the orphan heart, here's the way we live life. This, this is key. I do so I have so I can be. I do things to earn what it is I think in my life so I can somehow through my performance have identity. And I do that. Some of you are looking at that and go, well, yeah, that's, that's what we normally do. And it's utterly backwards in the kingdom of God. For a child, you want to know what a child does? A child starts with, I am. Therefore, I have. And based upon what the Father has given me, I can do. It all starts with the reality that before you and I ever did anything, listen to me. Before we ever did anything, what did the Father say? I want you. I want you to be part of my family. He put us, if I may, in this courtroom and stood before a judge. And I, I understand that there's no one, nothing that can judge God. So don't take my analogy too far. But it's almost like he stood there and said, I have paved a way for this one to be in my family. I want that one. I want him, I want her in my family. And the judge can say, well, what has he done? What has she done? No, no, it's not what they've done. It's because of who I say they are and how valuable and how worthwhile I say you are. You are worth such a precious price that I'll give the price of my son for you. There is no one on planet earth worth more than you. Now, there's seven billion worth just as much as you. So you can't look down on them but none of them are worth more because they paid, Jesus paid the price of his life to declare your worth so that we could start with the place of acceptance. I am. The foundation of freedom. I'm a child of the king. And I actually live it up here. I actually, the posture, the attitude of my life is that I'm his child. Fully accepted. You know you can do nothing to be more accepted by God than the moment you said yes to him. You're just as accepted. You say, David, I've done this, 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 this. In the 20, 30 years, I accepted Jesus. I, I could look at my life. I became a pastor. And I moved to Abilene, Texas when I didn't want to move to Abilene, Texas. And I dealt with all these people. Surely he accepts me. No. January 14, 1980, he showed up in my bedroom with a kid in Pampa, Texas. It's a little podunk town in the middle of nowhere. And he saw me. And he invited me to be his child. And that night, I bowed beside my bed and I said, Jesus, I don't know what all this means, but I'll become your follower. 
And I was as fully accepted in that moment as I am right now. All the things I quote unquote have done don't stack up to make me more accepted. I am. Because I am his child, I have the resources of the kingdom of heaven. All of it. Stats. And from that, under his direction, I do. I live my life. I live the way. And I'm telling you, that is free. That is freeing right there. That whole mindset shifts everything. Guys, freedom. If you want to know freedom, freedom comes as we join dad in his chair. You just crawl up as a little child and we join him. We rest in this place and live from this place. And it's going to be the empowering thing to take you where you need to go in life. Is that not what the text says? I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise, learned, and you've revealed them to who? Little children who will crawl up in the lap, rest, live from this posture. I remember when I, um, I experienced that. There was a moment, it was actually a moment here. I'd actually forgotten about it. So um, my journey is simple. I, I got called to the role God called me to when I was 15 years old. Please hear, I, I, I am utterly, I, I'm not just saying this. I'm utterly, absolutely convinced that the role that I, I play in my life is not any more spiritual than anybody else's role. The most spiritual role you can be in is what dad calls you to do. That's it. He just happened to call me to be part of church leadership. That's my call. And I, I, I was called early and I wanted, to, I wanted to preach, I wanted to pastor. I ended up on a church staff and I kept trying to go to places to pastor. And it just kept having no after no. One of those places I kept trying to come, believe it or not, was Nashville. Because I have a spiritual father by the name of Don Finto. I think he's been with you guys a few times. And Don was pastoring a church off of downtown and they were going to start churches around the Nashville area. And I'm like, I'm going to go to Nashville. I'm going to get out of Texas. I'm going to go to Nashville. And I'm going to be part of this. I'm going to be near a spiritual father. And they called me one time and said, hey, we're thinking about starting churches in south of Nashville, places like Brentwood and Franklin. And so my wife and I actually came here. Um, it's like 1995. Yeah, some of you were not even a gleam, gleam in your parents' eyes at that time. And I came here and I started praying and asking Father, and I, I so wanted to come. I, saw, I, I remember, I mean, I just desperately wanted to come. We drove around this area and I was, I was a yes man. My granddaddy used to say, I was like a blind dog in a meat locker, man. I was snapping at everything. <laughs> I'd take it. And I remember Don saying, we don't think you're supposed to do it. Oh, and there was just a dejection inside. Fast forward three years, and I get this call from a little church in the edge of Abilene, Texas, the town I'd gone to school at, and of all the God-forsaken places I didn't want to go back to. It was Abilene, Texas. And God made it abundantly clear I was supposed to go to Abilene, Texas. I mean, prophetically, it's a long story. And and I moved. I left a big church in the center of a pretty decent-sized town where I'd met Keith, and I went to this little church on the edge of town, and, and God started moving. 
I sense here, just by the way, side note, I sense here today the same sense I had at that church when I first went. I think y'all are poised for the same thing. We saw lots of people come to faith early on. We saw a lot of people brought to healing and we actually had to build a facility and um, we built a facility. And in 2002, after building that facility, I took a few weeks, a couple weeks break and I came to, I came to Nashville. Now remember, so we are eight years removed from me wanting to come and move here. And I'd pretty much forgotten about it because I was doing what I wanted to do and all that kind of stuff. And so I was, with, I was staying with Don in his house and he and his wife at the time lived near Lipscomb University. And Don had something to go do that day. And um, I said, man, I'll, just, I'll spend some time praying and doing some stuff. And I felt the spirit of God say, hey, I need you to go to Cool Springs Galleria. I hate malls. Why, why would I go to Cool Springs Galleria? And I didn't want to go and I kept getting that thing. And so I, I thought, well, no, I, I mean, that's, I looked at the map and that was before you had your phone and all that kind of stuff. I had to do some work to figure out where Cool Springs Galleria was. And I made the discovery that it was way far south and I didn't want to do that. So I noticed there was a mall pretty close called Green Hills Mall. So I'm going to go to Green Hills Mall. And I went to Green Hills Mall and I was walking around. I was observing people. I was praying. I was like, God, what do you want me to show? What do you want to show me here? And I heard the Spirit God say, nothing. I didn't tell you to come here. <laughs> I said, Cool Springs Galleria. And um, so I said, okay. And I started driving south and I pulled up to Cool Springs Galleria and I had one of those um, moments. I had been here. And back in 1995, when I was praying about wanting to do all this stuff and wanting to come to Franklin, I'd gone to Cool Springs Galleria and I'd walk that mall praying for people, asking God to give me a grace to come and be a part of what he wanted to do in their lives. And I had this excitement. And it was later that night that Don, in all his graciousness, said, I don't think you're supposed to come to Nashville I remember the dejection and all that kind of stuff. I remember being in Cool Springs Galleria and God took me in the middle of it. And he just spoke one little phrase to me. He said, aren't you glad you waited? Aren't you glad you waited for what I had for you and where I was taking you? And there's probably a story among the security staff at the Cool Springs Galleria because in 2002, there was this young man that was weeping and sobbing in the middle of that mall, just so overwhelmed that God had given me just enough grace to hold on to his hand and to trust that where he would take me would be the right place to take me. And now that city that I didn't, didn't want to go to, I'd never want to leave. I love it. I love it. I love my city. I love what God's doing. I love what's birthing there and what's birthing from there. And it was just a moment. I'm going to tell you most of the time, I would just tell you, I probably live way too often here, but every so often I have moments where I get to come here. And that was one of those moments that I got to live as a child and I got to see where he was taking me. And I know this, by making that, it was a place of rest. Listen to his word. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that there's so many things that you have hidden from those who think they're wise and they think they're understanding, but you reveal them to everyone who wants to be a little child. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. There's a different way to live life, completely other than what is the norm. Come to me. If you're worried, you're overwhelmed, you're anxious, 
bound up, not sure what the future holds, fearful, come to me. And you can find rest. Not just find it for a moment, not just fleeting. We can live here more and more. That's my goal. I want to live in chair one. And my heart for you is that you'll live from chair one because if you live from chair one, you start living from your identity, then you're going to realize that you have the resources of heaven at your disposal. And when y'all start doing that and you start doing what I prayed for for this city in 1995, we'll start having fruition that I never dreamed possible. That's why I'm here with you. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. I think I'm running out of time. I ask you a simple question. If you were to examine the norm of your life, what chair do you normally sit in? It's a great image. You'll never forget the image. I didn't create it. But it's a great image. What chair am I in right now? What chair am I responding? You can, you can be at work and have trouble and say, what chair am I living in? I, dude, I'm thinking like an orphan right now. I'm living da-da-da-da. And you can move and you just find yourself, God, move me, move me. And you can actually just reposture your whole mind, your whole attitude. I'm going to move into chair one. I'm going to live from chair one. I'm going to trust. What chair are you living in? Maybe you would say, David, you, you talked about this third chair outside the family. I, I've never made this decision. And here's what happens. Many people, when you're outside the family, you still, you're thinking like an orphan. And an orphan has to earn their way to God. So you say, well, I'm coming to church. I'll start going to church. That's what most people think. Well, if I'm going to get right with God, i got to go to church. No. Church is a tool meant to help you on your journey to live as a child the church isn't the mechanism by which you get right. All you got to do is recognize there's a father standing over with his hand open and saying, I want you. I made a way for you. I want to adopt you. I don't want to just make you my follower. I don't want to just make you my servant. I want to adopt you. All you do is say yes. I, I, I don't know most of you. I don't know if you've said yes to him or not, but if you haven't, you say yes right now. You can just become his. It's the most wonderful thing in the world, most costly thing. Most things in life that are worthwhile are costly. And you say yes to him. You can talk to somebody after service. You can talk to Keith, one of the elders later. Maybe you are his follower and you know it. And you would just make the same confession. I, I live a lot of my life in chair two. I live with an orphan mind. Earning, striving, competing, comparing. It really is somewhat of a miserable place to be. I've been there. What if you just said right now, Father, move me to the first chair. Show me what it means not just to be your child, but a little child. Preschooler. That's how I want to live before you. I'm just telling you, the journey that I'll take us on is phenomenal. So Father, that's what I pray over this place. I ask that New River would just be a first chair place. That men and women, every time they come into this room, would be drawn to this. We would move and we could be empowered to live more and more in that place of rest. You have given us a spirit. We don't have to be slaves again to fear. You've given us a spirit of adoption. We say, Abba, 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 Daddy. Give us a revelation of the Father's heart in here. And let each of these men and women 
Let them live from that place. Let us know joy that transcends circumstances. Let us know peace that transcends understanding. Let us walk in such a way that people around us are going, I, I don't get it, but I want what you have. I want it. And all we can do is say, I got a father. And he can be yours too. That's where we want to be, Lord. Give us that grace. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. So powerful, so good. You guys stand with us. We're going to close. We're going to just pray a benediction over you as we go. Uh, we're going to have some prayer partners available just to pray with you about anything going on in your world. We'd love to partner and pray with each other to grow in this reality, but we'd love to pray with you about anything. So come let us pray with you. We pray this over you as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who gave us his life so that we could be adopted, we pray. Amen.